he might heal them, that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked him. When Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for such belong the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. You begin with the picture of what are these keys of entering the, uh, the, the kingdom of heaven or what does it look like to have eternal life? And it what seems to be an innocent story of sorts here in Mark 10 verses 13 through 16 where here we have these crowds continuing to come to Jesus. They're bringing children to him that he might touch them. Now we might remember back in, in chapter 9 that in the first century children were regarded without status. You had no regard for them. They, they didn't help you in any way, so they were considered lowest on the totem pole in, in terms of status or regard. And so that's what you see happening here is as people are coming to Jesus and they're bringing their children to Jesus so that Jesus would touch them, you will notice what, what you see then the disciples doing. The disciples are rebuking them. And the reason why is, is pretty clear. You can imagine and say, we are on an important business and Jesus doesn't have time to stop and touch all these children. You're interfering with the work. You're interfering with, with the purpose that Jesus has. We're on the way to Jerusalem at this point. This is an important journey that Jesus is on. They don't know yet this is his final journey to Jerusalem, though Jesus has been telling them that. And so here he's telling, you can see the disciples telling the crowds, Jesus doesn't have time for that. Send the children away. He's too busy for that. And you have that sense then of this lack of status in children. I think that's interesting because it's clear that the disciples didn't remember what had happened a few weeks prior. When if you remember, Jesus gave the teaching about let the little children come to him for such are the kingdom of God. And so here the children are coming and the disciples are stopping it. But I want you to see what Jesus does in verse 14. When Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belong the kingdom of God. It's such a beautiful thing that Jesus does right here. You know, I don't know that any of us would have faulted Jesus if Jesus would have said, You know what? Yeah, that's right. I I have a really important mission. I need to hurry up and get to Jerusalem. Uh, I am going to be saving the world shortly. And this is how it's all going to be played out in Jerusalem. And I'm going to be betrayed and arrested and tried. And so we don't have time to stop right now. And just let me do the big mission right now. You have to love that Jesus is mad at his disciples. And tells them, don't do that. Let the children come to me, for such is the kingdom of God. And you get this picture of Jesus impressing upon the crowd at that time that there is no one that is unworthy of him based on their status. Jesus never went into a room and said, you know, well, you guys are poor, so I'm not going to deal with you. Or you're the outcast, and I don't want to deal with you. You're a bunch of vile tax collectors, and so I'm not going to deal with you, or something like that. You know, he never comes into the room and goes, okay, you guys I like, but you guys not so much. 
No one is considered unworthy in terms of their status, in terms of who they are, in terms of uh, uh, of race or in terms of gender or in terms of power and status or wealth. It didn't matter who you were. You could be a child and Jesus would stop. And that's a beautiful picture of our Savior. It's a beautiful picture of who he is. And he says, don't don't stop them from coming because no one is excluded from coming to me. Anybody can come to me. It doesn't matter who you are. Anybody can come and enjoy the blessings uh, of the kingdom. Whatever your background is, whatever your culture is, whatever you think you have in your life that makes you too low or too insignificant or not valuable, Jesus doesn't care. He accepts every single person regardless of whatever you were born with or whatever you grew up with or whatever it is. He accesses that and says, now you let them come to me. Verse 16, he takes them into his arms and blesses them and lays his hands on them. What a beautiful scene. Now this transitions into something that I think is interesting because the first picture for us that we've seen already a couple of lessons earlier and in fact is going to come up again in chapter 10 is that Jesus blesses those who are lowly. Jesus is about the humble. Jesus is about the people who do not think about themselves. They do not elevate themselves in their mind. They do not think of themselves as high and lofty and exalted and do you know who I am kind of thing. There's no concern for that whatsoever. And that's what sets out what happens now in verse 17. Mark 10, verse 17. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, This looks like a really good question. It also looks like it's coming from the proper place. You will notice that he falls down on his knees before Jesus. So this looks very legitimate. Here comes this man running up to Jesus, falls down on his knees. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And based on how Jesus talks to him, we're going to get a sense that this isn't as straightforward as we probably would think. As we've seen, Jesus, if somebody is honest and is lowly and truly contrite in coming to him, Jesus receives that. That's the message of verses 13 through 16. I'll stop for children. Whoever wants to truly come to me, I'm not going to forbid them. I'm not going to hold them back. And this man comes running up to Jesus and says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Notice Jesus' response right back in verse 18. Why do you call me good? Jesus knows the heart. And Jesus is about to address the heart of this person. Jesus knows the heart and he says, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Essentially, do you understand what you are saying about me? You are coming up to me and you are calling me good, but do you understand the ramifications of that? No one is good. Paul would say that later on. No one is righteous. No, not one. No one does good. Everyone turns away from the Lord. All do evil. Goodness cannot be defined by human achievement. You know, that's what we like to do. I'm good because 
and you come up with ever short list of God's laws that you're doing, and you go, see, I'm good. You know, we won't put into that list all the things we're not doing. We will only have the things that we are doing. We'll put those in the list of, so like today, if you go to church, you're good. High fives all around. We're all good. You know, we're all good people. That's what we do. And that's what essentially where this man is coming from. Good teacher. What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? First, do you understand what you're saying? Do you understand that intrinsically of yourself, no one is good. Your deeds are evil. You cannot stand before God and say, hey, I'm good. I have no problems. I'm all right. Not at all. And then notice what Jesus does with that further. Verse 19. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud Honor your father and mother. In short, what Jesus turns around and says, if you want to inherit eternal life, keep the commandments. I'd like for you to put yourself in that scene for a minute. Allow yourself to think about that idea. Imagine that you had the opportunity to come to Jesus and you are on your knees and you get to ask your one question. And your one question is this, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And what he tells you to do is keep the commands of God. I want you to keep all of his laws. I want you to do what he says, keep his commandments. Be honest with yourself for a moment. What would be your response at that? Jesus says... I want you to keep all the commandments. Now, what are you going to think at that moment? Look at what he says. This man says in verse 20, he said to him, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. (laughs) That's an interesting perspective. (laughs) What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? You know, the commandments keep them. Lord, teacher, nailing it, (laughs) just nailing that since my youth, no problem, been doing that for years, no problem. (laughs) The reason why that answer is interesting is because it immediately reveals now why Jesus is answering the way he's answering. It explains why he turns around and says, You know, do you understand what it means to be good? No one is good but God. This guy thinks he is. Oh, I've been keeping all the commandments. What do I need to do to eternal life, man? I am nailing that. I haven't murdered anybody. Uh, You know, A plus. Uh, I'm keeping all of these commands. And so clearly, I'm going to be inherit eternal life, right? And I want you to realize... That Jesus was not saying those laws so that this man would go, man, do I feel good? I am nailing that. I am just, when it comes to God's law, A plus for me, I am crushing it. Remember what the intention of God's law, remember the whole purpose of the law of Moses is for is so that you would look at your at the law and realize how woefully short you fall from it. 
No one was ever supposed to come to the law of Moses and go, man, I am killing that thing. That, I, that is easy. I do that thing blindfolded since my youth. Those are the people who are not in the kingdom. They're not the lowly. They're not the poor in spirit. They're not mourning over their sins. They're not hungering and thirsting for righteousness. They think they're good in and of themselves. And that's why Jesus is talking to this person this way. And I hope in your mind, when you put yourself in that scene and Jesus said, keep all the commands, you didn't go, well, I've been doing that. (laughs) The intention of Jesus saying, keep all the commands is to elicit the response within every human being of this. Uh Uh-oh. Everybody's supposed to go, oh, no. I have a problem. I have an issue. Nobody's supposed to look at the law and go, whew, okay right here. (laughs) No problem. You're supposed to be devastated when presented with the law, when here is God's holy, righteous, high law, and God comes and says, now do this and you will live. Everyone should come to that and go, I have a problem. I have a very big problem that needs a solution. But I want you to notice what Jesus does here next. Verse 21. Jesus looks at him and notice we get a window into the heart of Jesus. You know, Jesus does not look at him and is disgusted by him and says, this guy, I can't believe this guy. This guy thinks he's been keeping all the law since his youth. Could easily challenge that one. Honor your father and mother since your youth. Let's go ask your parents. Let's see how that's gone. Notice he's not disgusted. He's not frustrated. He's not angry. He loves him. He looks at this man and he loves him. But I also want you to notice that he doesn't look at him and love him and say, well, that's okay. I appreciate you asking me a very good question. It's a really good question. What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Could you think of a more important question to ask? It's a really good question to ask Jesus. But notice in loving him, he doesn't leave him where he's at, which is in a spiritual disaster. He now challenges him in verse 21. He loves him and says, you lack one thing. Go sell all you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. What's Jesus doing with that? What Jesus is doing is attempting to reveal this man's heart. You think you're doing all the laws. Let me reveal a place in your heart where you're actually failing. You're looking at all the places that you're doing well at. All the things you're obeying. Which is what we like to do. We like to come to God's law and go, didn't kill anybody, check. No adultery, check. Uh, Didn't steal from anybody today, check. And I'm here at church today. I am A plus Christian. And it is interesting that what Jesus is going to do and go, well, let's probe deeper. Let's think about the laws that are not on your mind Young man, but instead, let's think about some things that you may not 
be willing to do. And so he challenges this man. You just lack one thing. Go sell all that you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come follow me. And notice the response. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful because he had many possessions. You see, Jesus put his finger on the problem. This man is looking at all the places in his life that he's excelling. And Jesus says, but have you looked at this area in your life where you're not? Have you considered this place in your life? What about possessions? What about wealth? How are you doing there? Are you trusting the Lord your God with all of your heart? Or are you trusting in your riches? Do your riches and your wealth and your possessions matter more than God? The concern of covetousness, the concern of the desire for more, the concern of the accumulation of things. This is what God does. I hope it's something that you will consider anytime you're looking at the scriptures is that this is the essence of what God does is that God is always probing for our idols, isn't he? Every time Jesus talks to somebody in scriptures, he's always doing that. He is always probing for idols. Where is your shortcoming? Where is the area that you lack? Because our tendency is to focus on how well we're doing. And Jesus always wants to move our eyes off of our spiritual success and get us to see how woefully short we fall of his laws. Looking at our spiritual success leads to pride and arrogance. It leads to being unwilling to be taught by others or corrected. We look at ourselves and we elevate ourselves. Oh, look how good I'm doing. And Jesus is trying to get to this man's heart. And why is he doing that? Why does he say this to him? You saw it. Because he loves him. It's what this man needed to hear right now. It's not doing this man any favors by going, well, at least you're doing most of the law. That's okay. I'm glad you're kind of 95% of the way there. It gets right to the heart. There is something that you lack. And have you thought about it? Have you considered this important area in your life? I think it's such an important thought that God is probing for the idols of our heart, is always looking to try to expose to our hearts and expose to our minds and expose to our eyes these places where we're falling short. We always want to focus on the success. And God's trying to bring us along and to change those weaknesses and get a hold of those areas to transform us into what God wants us to be. Notice what this does for Jesus after seeing that this man leaves him and goes away sorrowful. In verse 23, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. So Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. 
Jesus makes an important teaching declaration. I think an important declaration that we often do not grasp. Wealth, possessions, riches interfere with us entering the kingdom of God. They are an absolute obstacle. In fact, you note the incredulous response of the disciples when Jesus says this. Jesus says it the first time and goes, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. He just makes this difficult this, this difficult statement. How difficult it is for those who have wealth. Verse 24, they're amazed at that. Jesus, seeing their amazement, turns around and says it to them again. And then he gives them an illustration. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, you might have heard some crazy explanations for that like camels getting on their knees and going through gates, which is t- totally untrue. Camels do not crawl on their knees. Just, yeah. <laughs> no. Nor were the disciples supposed to listen to that and go, yeah, I saw, saw Joe pull that off the other day. You know, he got his camel to go through on the knees and through that gate. That was amazing that he did that. He's stating the impossibility. We come along to a phrase like this because we don't like it and try to get the eye of the needle a little bigger. (laughs) And it's not bigger. In fact, Jesus twice, verse 23, how difficult it will be. Verse 24, how difficult it is. And verse 25, easier for a camel go through the eye of the needle. Here's the problem. When we have possessions, money and wealth, it's so easy to depend upon those things rather than God. And the trick that we like to play is that we say within ourselves, oh, I trust God while trusting in wealth all the while. Oh, no, no, no. I I trust in God. I'm completely dependent upon God. Not an issue. And I think it's important that we take what what Jesus says here and really challenge ourselves. Because it's easy to read this about this man and we kind of can go, I'm glad he didn't say that to us. I'm glad there's not, you know, book, chapter and verse, Acts chapter four, you know, and all Christians must sell all that they have and come follow me. (laughs) Okay, okay, we're good. But there's a way to test ourselves. You came up to Jesus and you said, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And you said, hopefully the right answer. Well, I'm not doing all the things that you've said to do. And he goes, there's only one thing you need to lack if you want to follow me. Here's what I want you to do. What I want you to do is sell the stuff that you have. So think about all the things in your house. Sell your computers. I want you to sell your TVs, sell your cars, sell your house. And I want you to come follow me. I'm on my way to Jerusalem, going down to the next city. So you just go ahead and sell you these things that you possess and come follow me. Now challenge yourself with great honesty. Would you do it? See how difficult it is for those who are rich to enter the kingdom of God. 
Jesus is throwing down a very big challenge. He's challenging our hearts. Do you really care about God far more than your home and your cars and your job and your stuff and your things? Is He really more valuable? Does He really matter more than anything else? That if Jesus said that there was one thing I lack, sell your TV, I'd be like done, booted out the window, gone. There's just one thing you lack. Get rid of your cars. Done. Sold. Gone. We'll get it right out of here. You know what? Just free. Take it. Just one thing you lack. Just get rid of your house. And that's the one thing you lack. Can you imagine it being that easy? Or is that actually that hard? See, this is the challenge that Jesus is giving us is because our money shows if we trust God or not. The way we use our money really does challenge us to see if we trust God or not. It's interesting how often the scriptures picture for us that if you have enough for today, then you're rich by God's definition. Or as my favorite of the Apostle Paul, with food and clothing, we'll be content. And I think, well, that would be a challenge, I think, for all of us. (laughs) That's quite a statement by Paul. You have enough for today, you're in the rich category. And there are challenging things that we have to consider. Do we think that we are providing for ourselves or do we realize that God has richly blessed us? Everything we have has come from God. Everything that we possess, everything that is in our house, the house itself, and in the driveway, and all around that, and in the bank, God gave that to you. God has richly blessed us. Do we panic about money? Or do we believe that God will provide Do we worry about what we will eat in the future or what we will drink or what we will wear or where we will live? Or do we believe that God is going to provide? The challenge that is given to us is are our possessions idols or not? This is essentially what Jesus is doing with this man. Are your possessions an idol? Will you willfully just drop them and come follow me? Or are they too important to you? Are they too valuable to you? Do having things matter? Does stuff matter? The things that I get, the things that I work for, and the things that I enjoy, the things that make me comfortable and give me this short-term physical happiness, those things matter to me so much that I won't give them up. See, we can read, the other texts call this man the rich young ruler. We, we, we We can read this and we can... You know, read about him and go, oh, what a crazy guy. Who, who would ever make such a horrible decision? <laughs> right. He only liked one thing, sell all that you have, follow him. It's a challenge of the heart, a real challenge of the heart that we have to ask ourselves. Now, after doing that, watch what the disciples do. Verse 28. Peter began to say to him, see, we have left everything to follow you. (laughs) 
Notice what Jesus is doing and working with the disciples. The disciples at first said, this isn't going to happen. This is impossible. This, this can't be. How could it be that anybody is going to be saved? And so he's going to tell them, now with, that, with, with God, all things are possible. Salvation is only going to come through God. You can't earn this. You can't do this yourself. Can't save yourself. See, back then, and we still do it today. Back then, back then, if you had wealth, that meant you were saved because God was blessing you. And that, that still kind of exists in the fringes of the television or religious world. Uh, you know, if you have a bunch of stuff, that means you're saved, means you're good because God's blessing you. And so he's going to challenge Peter here. And Peter's, Peter's understanding that. We've left everything to follow you. And I think what Peter is saying right here is we've done what that guy didn't do. One thing you lack, sell everything that you have, come follow me. And that guy just walks off. So Peter, love Peter. He says what we all want to hear, but we're all too afraid to say. Peter steps in and he goes, hey, we've done that. <laughs> they have. <laughs> they have. Remember, Jesus walked up and said, hey, follow me. And they're just jumping out of their boats and following. They're, they're gone. All right, done. You know, they leave poor dad behind out there <laughs> with the fishing job. And whoop, here we go. We've made the sacrifice. What about us? We've left everything to follow you. And I think it's important to define that concept for a minute. And the idea of leaving everything. Because sometimes what we can do is we'll define, well, I would give up and we'll list a certain amount of things that we're willing to give up. But Jesus' call to leave everything is to leave anything that would hinder us from following Jesus. Anything that's the obstacle, anything that gets in our way of following Him. So we read later on in the Gospels, Peter still has a home and a fishing boat. But what's he talking about? Did Peter care about that home and that boat? No, he's following Jesus everywhere he goes. That's the whole point. That's the whole idea. Is is are the anything going to stop you? Anything going to get in the way? Anything going to prevent you from truly following? And that's what Peter is saying. We've left everything. Peter's wife is back home and we're going all over Galilee and down to Judea and over to the other side and they're traveling everywhere. We've left everything to follow you. So his big question is, what about us? See, we've left everything to follow you, verse 28. Look at what Jesus says in verse 29. Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Were you surprised by Jesus' answer? There's a lot of surprising things in there, I think. First thing I think is pretty surprising is number one, here's Jesus saying, we know what you sacrificed. You have to like that. Jesus goes, we know. <laughs> Got it. God knows, I know. Lord knows everything that you've sacrificed. Fully aware 
of what you've given up. There's nothing that you are sacrificing, that you are forfeiting. Think about the prior lessons of what Jesus has done, the, the eye that you've cast out to follow him, the decisions about marriage and divorce and follow him, to make yourself servant of all to follow him. All of those prior lessons build into this moment. All of the sacrifices, all that you give up, all that you leave behind, all that you're willing to say no to. I'm not living my life for possessions. I'm living it for God. I'm not about wealth. I'm not about stuff. I'm not about things. I'm not about all of that. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. Here is God saying, I know those sacrifices. I know what you're forfeiting. I know what you're giving up. You're not surprising God. He knows what you're doing, and that's good. He's fully aware of the sacrifice you make to follow Him. And notice what he says in verses 29 and 30. He describes there there's two rewards, aren't there? Let's take the easy one and then the hard one. (laughs) The easy one is in the age to come, eternal life. That's typically all we focus on, right? It was like, okay, sacrifice now, eternal life to come. And it's interesting, Jesus does not quarantine the answer simply to eternal life, does he? I, I, I could take the, the shortcut out of here <laughs> and go, okay, if you make sacrifices, eternal life. And that's all he said, but that's not all he said. Notice that he said also, if you leave behind house, brothers, sister, mother, father, children, lands, for my sake and for the gospel, there's a picture of present blessings will not who will not receive hundredfold now in this time. Houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, lands with persecutions. So here's the big question. Jesus coming along and saying, I know that you've sacrificed everything and if you just wait a few more days, you're going to have a hundredfold more houses and a hundredfold more family and a hundredfold more lands and you're going to have so much more stuff. Well, the problem with that answer is where do you ever read those Christians having, you know, suddenly they just walked in on a pile of money and... (laughs) I would like to say, unfortunately, that's often what the religious world presents. It is a very, excuse me, a very selfish, driven obedience to God. If you'll just give up your money now and you give up these various things in your life now, God's going to make you physically rich a little bit later. Isn't that the very problem that we're dealing with with this man? Is that if your focus and your drive and your purpose is, hey, I'm going to get a bunch of money and a bunch of stuff. Well, you're identifying the very idol that Jesus is trying to overthrow. The whole reason you're about God's business is because, well, I think I'm going to get a bunch of stuff. He's going to bless me richly in this life and, you know, hold your wallet in the air. Can't you feel it? Get more money and all that. That's the very thing Jesus is despising. It's the very thing he's challenging this man to not be consumed and tied by wealth. So what's Jesus say? I think it's interesting the way he describes what you'd be able to have in, in, in this life. There is something amazing about being a follower of Jesus when it comes to physical blessings.
And when we don't trust in wealth, but truly trust in God, the firm belief that God is going to take care of you. Now, we like to define being taken care of Ferraris in the driveway and, you know, gold-plated things. But I would imagine that every single follower of Jesus could honestly say, and I know that I can say on many, many occasions, there have been times where I didn't know how we were going to make it through that month. Well, God worked something out. Usually it would be some wonderful brother or sister in Christ that would just do something out of their own kindness of heart and suddenly they've helped. It is interesting that by coming into the family of Christ, you're giving this picture of you're going to have this whole new family. And that God's going to care for your needs. That you don't have to worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, and what you're going to wear about tomorrow. That's what Jesus says that over and over again. You don't need to worry about those things. And I believe it says a lot to us because I think often we don't really believe that. <laughs> We believe that he's going to take care of us tomorrow as long as I work 70 hours a week right now. And I'm going to make sure of it, you know, and God's not going to help me out. But all of us have hit times. And you didn't know how that was all going to play out. And it's amazing how often God does something about it. You think about the book of Acts, how often that truly happened. Right out of the gate, early pages of Acts 2, you have this whole new family. Fathers, spiritual fathers, spiritual mothers, spiritual brothers and sisters in Christ, spiritual children. Here they are all together. And what are they all doing? They're selling their possessions and giving to any of them that were in need. You get out to chapters 11 through 13. There's this great famine in the land. And here are all these Christians who are suffering in the region of Judea. What's happening? God's providing for them through the hands of other Christians, taking care of them through their distress. I don't know of any other answer that can be layered upon what Jesus is saying right here. That not only are you going to have eternal life to come, you are trusting in God today to provide. That God is going to take care of you. God has blessed you with the things that you have now. The reason you have a job is because God's given you that job. The reason you have wealth is because God has given you that wealth. The possessions you have is because God has given you those possessions. It would be as as frustrating... As if my kids came up to me tonight in a whole panic and said, well, what are we going to do about tomorrow about everything? How are we going to eat? How are we going to how are we going to do all that? And to be like, hey, hey, hey. For all the years of your life, I have taken care of you and provided for you and given you everything that you needed. Relax. You'll be fine tomorrow. And just take all the years of your life and ask yourself, when has God let you down about that? 
No, you may not be rich. No, you went through hard times. No, you might have lost a whole lot. But God didn't promise American culture riches. <laughs> you give up things of this life here. God says, don't worry, I've got you. I gave those things to you in the first place. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to help you through. I'm going to give you the things that you need. The idea then as we conclude this morning is that we would see that the kingdom is truly upside down and inside out. It's, it's completely backward. Success in this life means we will not have success in the kingdom of God. These things stand against each other. If you truly care about the things of God, then you have to focus on the things of God and not be focused on this life and the things of this world. And what Jesus is doing as he rounds out these four teachings that we've looked at over the past four weeks then is to just simply ask the question to ourselves, is there something that we refuse to give up for the kingdom of God? Is there something that we would say, oh, I cannot give that up. I'm not going to do that. I will do all these other things for God, but I'm not going to do this. Because what Jesus is saying, it's those who are low who enter the kingdom of God. Those who don't think of themselves highly. Those who are like children and are willing to be without status and come before God humbly. Those who trust in God. They're the ones that enter. Will you trust in me with all of your heart? Will you believe in me? Will you let me be your leader and and be your savior and be your God? Be your master. And the big challenge of that section Do you trust in riches? I think our two biggest idols in this country, comfort and happiness, I'm going to do what I want to do so that I'm comfortable and happy. Don't make me uncomfortable. God's not going to make me have to be unhappy or uncomfortable. That's an idol. It's not true. The other is riches. I need to have my stuff. I'll follow God if I have my stuff. If I'm not comfortable with my stuff and have all my things and have my job and all my ducks in a row and make a certain amount of income and have a certain amount of security and have all these things laid out in this life, I think those are our two idols. Those are our big ones. And Jesus probes into our hearts and challenges us. Is that our idol or not? Have we bought into the acceptance of the American culture? We make comfort and wealth our everything, and that's what we really trust in. Or do we truly trust in God to provide? Do you really believe that God will care for you? Do you really believe that everything you have is from God? Do you believe, like Job, that when everything be taken away, I could just put my hands in the air and say, God bless me with it, and God takes it away. Bless be the name of the Lord. Such a confidence that he had. Because he truly believed it all was from God. And he truly believed that God would provide for him. Where are you in your relationship with God? Where are you in following him? I hope that you'll consider where you stand. Consider if you have these idols in your life. And what you can do to rip them out. To remove those, those things that we often trust in. We trust in wealth. 
What do you need to do to change that? What do you need to do with your heart so that you will no longer depend upon riches and wealth and possessions, but truly trust in the Lord your God with all of your heart? Can we help you do that? If you're not a Christian, we want you to consider your standing that you would turn away from your sins, confess Jesus to be the Son of God who died for your sins and be immersed in water with Him, to be united with Him in baptism for the forgiveness of your sins. Can we help you do that? Won't you come now while we stand and while we sing?